0: Good morning again, everybody. So as Alex said, so far in this series, we've seen how Jesus came to save the unremarkable, how he came to save the outsiders, he came to save the failures from last week, and this week we get to one that is the despised. This is one that's a little bit different for us, and it makes sense when we really read about Zacchaeus and the way he was despised. Sure, but I want us to really think about who those people are. Who are the despised among us? And we'll talk about that in a moment. But when I was thinking about this, this I will go ahead and tell you this sermon has probably changed about twenty times (laughs) in my preparation of this and my reading of this passage. But one of the main things that came to me that I felt led to do was not just to talk about the despised. See, with all these three other messages in this mini series. I feel like it's been at least somewhat easy for us to, many of us, to identify with the different people mentioned. Many of us in our lives feel unremarkable in different aspects, like, I don't know why God would use me, I'm nothing special. Many of us have felt like outsiders before. I don't belong. Maybe I didn't grow up in church, this is new for me. I'm not from here, are they going to accept me? And all of us have felt like failures in our life. If you haven't yet, you will. That's encouraging at Christmas time, right? But when I thought about the despised, it kind of changed in my mind a little bit. See, a lot of us, especially here in the southern Bible belt where you can spit in the wind and hit at least three churches, <laughs> most of them Baptist, <laughs> you might like wing a Presbyterian church, Many of us here, we're surrounded, immersed in spirituality. We're immersed in the Bible. We're immersed in Christianity. You can't go into any store. Well, you can go into Walmart, and there's a whole little, like, aisle of Christian things, right? Next to all the other immoral mess that they have in there, right? But they have their own little Christian section because they know we're here. There's a whole lot of us here, right? I mean, Rock Springs Baptist Church is half of Easley, okay? So a lot of us are Christians, Right? And I feel like it might be hard for a lot of us, at least here in our churches, to identify with the despised, at least now. But the despised is not the only person in this passage. There's three different identities we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the despised, but we're also going to look at the ones who are doing the despising. We're going to look at the despisers, those who were looking down on Zacchaeus, and then we're going to look on that blessed third party. We're going to look at our Savior. So let's dive into this together, and first off, talk about the key wee little man that we all know named Zacchaeus. He is the one who is the despised. We all, or at least many of us, were raised with that song, right, the, the, the wee little man um, song, right, about Zacchaeus uh, as a little child, one of the very first, I love theater, that's how I met my wife, and the very first role I ever remember playing was Zacchaeus. I got to, on, in our church stage, I climbed up a little step ladder. It looked like I was in a tree. Okay. And so we're all very familiar with the story of, his, of this wee little man, but what made him so despised? Well, the passage tells us that Zacchaeus was a tax collector. And if you know anything about that time period, anything about the Jewish culture, you'll know why the Jewish people especially hated tax collectors so much. Tax collectors were normally Jewish men by birth, by heritage, right? Or, and at least at the start, by religion. And what happened is, they would take a job under Rome. Rome was governing over Israel at this time, and so a tax collector would work for Rome, the Jewish oppressors, and they would go and they would sit in key places as people would pass in and out of cities to collect the taxes. Now, this is not a message about taxes. I'll leave that for Alex, or a podcast. Talk about taxes sometime, <laughs> right? that would be a fun one. Um, but, I do want to say that they were supposed to pay taxes. That was just the thing they were supposed to do, right? But what would make them mad and what would make them hate these tax collectors was they were just widely known that basically every single tax collector would take more than was asked of by Rome to line their pockets. And there was absolutely nothing the Jewish people could do about it. And Rome knew it was happening. But Rome didn't care because they said, hey, go ahead, make yourself rich. You're doing our job for us. You're making our job easier, so they had all the power in the world to get as filthy rich as they wanted by cheating people of their own kind. And not only was he a tax collector, but did you catch it? He was a chief tax collector. Thought this was interesting. It's actually the only time you ever see that term mentioned in the whole New Testament. There's no one else that's mentioned to be a chief tax collector, right? Like we think of the Apostle Matthew. Uh, Matthew was a tax collector, and then he leaves and follows Jesus. Um, but Zacchaeus, it's easier to think about him like the kingpin of the crime family there in um, this town where he is in. And so here in Jericho, this is where Zacchaeus is. This is how the people view Zacchaeus. They view him as a traitor. They look at him and say, hey, you're supposed to be on our side. You're one of us. You're supposed to be one of the Jewish people, one of the religious people, but no, you're working for our enemies. And because of that, We hate you. And then, next to all of that, he was short. I know that seems like a silly thing to say, but I want you to understand something about ancient Jewish culture. Okay, It was a lot like modern-day middle school culture. I've taught middle school. (laughs) I'll I'll wrap that in in a second. Sorry, middle schoolers who are in here. I love you guys. Y'all are mostly nice. Um, Middle schoolers are mean, right? I've taught middle school Bible... For almost 10 years now. They're in North Carolina, and now I teach at Anderson Christian School over in Anderson. And middle schoolers are mean, right students? <laughs> okay. And no matter what, it, it doesn't matter if you can actually have something really wrong with you, or you can just be short, you're going to be made fun of. And in ancient Jewish culture, it actually wasn't very different. See, they if you didn't fit the perfect standard of what they thought an adult should be, and especially a man then you didn't really get much standing in society. They looked down on you. Are you a woman? Sorry, you're looked down on because you're a woman. Are you a child? You're looked down on because you're a child. Do you have a disease? You're looked down on. Are you short of stature? Physically. You're looked down on. <laughs> Physically and metaphorically. And all of this paints a picture for us of what and who Zacchaeus Is And all of that's important for us to understand what it looks like to see someone who is despised. But let's wrap that into today. Who do we know, who is around us today that is the despised? And I'm going to make this easier for us as we answer this question. We need to see from our passage, who who are the ones that are looking at Zacchaeus and despising him? It's the religious people. It's all of those religious people following Jesus around that are excited to see this Messiah, or they they called him the Messiah, right? They were following him, they're listening to his sermons, they're excited. They're the ones who hated and despised Zacchaeus. So who are the people that we hate and despise today? Well, wait a minute, Pastor Jordan, I don't hate anybody, I'm a Christian. All right, we'll put that word aside because we never get that right anyway. Who do we have in our hearts and our minds that we think about that when we think of them, we say there's absolutely no way that they're going to get saved? There's just no way. Look at them. They hate me. They hate God. They hate the church. Their lifestyle is filthy. There's no way that they would ever come to faith in Jesus. What kind of people is this? Well, of course, it's those vilest of sinners, right? We look out on our society and it's the murderers and assaulters, right? It's those involved with human trafficking. It's terrorists. It's the person who got an abortion. It's the drug dealers. It's the people of a different religion. It's the person who hates us at work or at school. It's the per- person in the opposite political party as us. Hang on a second. <laughs> Did you see that spiral? See, it's real easy for us to say that we despise people like actual terrorists, human traffickers. We look at that and say, yes, we despise their sin. But what happens is when we have that kind of heart, the wrong kind of hateful heart, it goes down to other people too. And we start looking at people around us that we simply don't agree with and that look like they hate us. And we start treating them in the exact same way. We all have people that we despise. We all have people that we look down on. But when I ask us a question, do we ever pray for them? I had a student, uh, I've had students ask me this over and over and over, especially um, when we were talking about uh, 9-11 as it happened this past year. I had students ask me, they said, hey, could, could Osama bin Laden have gotten saved? Yes. Of course he could have. Is the, the atrocities that he committed more powerful than what Jesus did on the cross? Church? No. What about the person of the other religions? Is, are their actions and beliefs more powerful, powerful than what Jesus did on the cross? No. What did Alex preach about last week? If someone like David, an uh, adulterous murderer, can become what the Bible labels him as as a man after God's own heart, Anybody can. And we have to be careful about who we look at and put that kind of judgment on. But listen, I want you to actually notice something about the despised. See, way too often we look at them and we despise them and we let our feelings and the way we see them and the way we feel dictate their future in our minds, and we never think about what could happen. But let me tell you something that Zacchaeus shows us, and you can see in many examples in the world today, some of the strongest followers of Jesus began as the despised. Some of the people who are more on fire for the gospel of Jesus were the ones that were on the outside, that hated it at first, that hated Jesus, and then got saved. And Zacchaeus was one of those people. And I want you to notice something about Zacchaeus that I don't want you to make impossible in your mind for these kinds of people. Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was. Did you catch that? It says Zacchaeus wanted to see who Jesus was, but he couldn't because he was short of stature. Now, we don't know exactly what was going on in his mind. We know that he at this point would have obviously have heard of Jesus. Jesus' fame had exploded at this point. And here he's heard that this man, this rabbi, who's claiming to be the Messiah, is coming into town. But I think some other messages may have also reached Zacchaeus's ears. See, at this point, it was known that Jesus liked to find the people that no one else would find. That Jesus would want to go and talk to people that no one else would want to go and talk to. And maybe this is why Zacchaeus wanted to see who this Jesus was. You'd be surprised... Just how many people enter a church building out of sheer curiosity? They've heard about Jesus, and this is especially true where we are. Let's not lie to ourselves, just because we're in the Bible Belt, and because we grew up in church, there are people in our streets who've never truly heard the gospel presented before. But they may have heard about Jesus. They may hear or see our signs. They may have come to our trunk or treat and heard the gospel for the first time. And they want to come in these doors, and they want to hear about who Jesus is. And many of them, when, that, when the Holy Spirit starts working on them and starts drawing them in, they'll do anything to get in. Did you catch what Zacchaeus did? <laughs> He couldn't see because so he, he was short. So what does he do? He finds a tree. <laughs> he goes up. He climbs up the sycamore tree so that he can see Jesus. I want to make sure we don't label any people in our minds as too far gone from Jesus. Because to him, no one is too far gone. And to someone that he's working on, may we pray that they be like Zacchaeus. That they wouldn't see the doors closed at a church and think, I'm not welcome there, but that their curiosity would be piqued enough that they would come in these doors. But that moves us into our our next thing. Well, we'll we'll get to there in a second, actually. I want us to make, uh, before, sorry, brain frazzled, had a a brain fart. I have a little everywhere this morning. But with Zacchaeus, what what changes someone who is the despised? What changes someone, if they do walk in the door, if their curiosity brings them in, what keeps them here? It's not the music, it's not mere Alex. As he said, we're not the ones that the attention is supposed to go on. It's the gospel. And the gospel is what changed Zacchaeus. And what changed Zacchaeus was his faith and his repentance in Jesus. The notes there in your bulletin, if you want to fill them in, it says this. Zacchaeus shows us that true faith and repentance turns the despised into a disciple. Zacchaeus shows an immediate change here. And someone who is as hated by the religious people, as hated by the Jews as Zacchaeus, goes from being someone who was cheating people out of their money, lining his own pockets, all he cared about was riches, And it turns him into a follower of Jesus. But what does that? It's actual faith and repentance. Jesus said something very interesting if you look down towards the very bottom of our passage. When he's telling the religious people about Zacchaeus, he said, salvation has come to this home as he is a true son of Abraham. What does that mean? Obviously, Jesus, he's a Jewish man. Of course, he's the son of Abraham. But that's not what he's talking about. If you or I are saved by Jesus Christ, we are a son or daughter of Abraham. Not by lineage. I don't have any Jewish blood in me. I'm a son of Abraham through the faith that Abraham had. See, if you remember the story of Abraham, we all know him as Father Abraham. He had this great faith to obey Jesus. But he was in that same despised category when God called him. (laughs) If you do the research and find out, when God called Abraham, he was not a follower of God. He was living in a town that was an idol worshiping town. They worshiped the moon goddess. Don't remember the moon goddess's name, but that's who they were worshiping. But God called Abram and said, Get up and go to a land I'll show you. And Abram had enough faith that he obeyed. But not only that, he had so much faith in God that when God said to sacrifice his son, his only son that he was promised, he said, Okay. And he raised the knife, and Hebrews tells us that he was raising the knife with the intention of putting it down into his son because he trusted that God would raise his son from the dead. What kind of faith is that? That's the kind of saving faith that Zacchaeus showed. That's the kind of saving faith that someone who goes from being despised and finds salvation through Jesus becomes that turns them into a disciple. That's the kind of faith that takes someone like Saul of Tarsus, who was hunting down Christians to have them arrested and murdered and stoned like Stephen, and turns him into the great missionary to the Gentiles. It turns him into a disciple of Jesus. But it also takes that repentance. What does Zacchaeus do? As soon as he meets Jesus, he shows that faith that he believes who Jesus is, and then he repents. He turns away from his sin. That's what the end of the passage in Ezekiel said today. It's God's desire that we would turn from our sins and live in him. For Zacchaeus, his repentance was getting rid of his greed. It was getting rid of the money. He said, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor, and then if I've stolen from anybody, which he had, I'm going to pay them back fourfold. You want to know what Zacchaeus did? He made himself broke. If you do that math... (laughs) To follow Jesus. For him, repentance was turning away from his greed. And whatever that sin in your life that holds you down is, that's what your repentance is. We turn from that sinful lifestyle and we follow Jesus. And that faith and that repentance turns us from the despised into a disciple. But then let's move into the second group. It's the despisers. So we have Zacchaeus and he has this wonderful encounter with Jesus But what happens when he has this encounter with Jesus? See, it's this beautiful moment. We read it. Zacchaeus is in the tree. Jesus calls out to him, I must stay at your house today. Zacchaeus comes down. It's an exciting thing. And then we get a huge party pooping moment when we read what the crowds do. Look at what it says. It says, And when they saw it, verse seven, they all grumbled, saying, He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Great job, religious people. See What causes religious people to do that? Because isn't that the goal? Shouldn't that be the goal, church? That we should be excited when lost people get saved? That's why we do our missions outreaches. That's why we share the gospel here. That's what we want to see. It's what we should rejoice in. And yet, so often, I feel like churches miss the mark. See, these people just couldn't fathom that Jesus wanted to spend time with someone like Zacchaeus instead of them. What happens is people who've been in church their entire life, and this is me too, (laughs) we get this sense, or we're tempted to get this sense of entitlement. That we're the ones Jesus should be showing his attention to. Put yourself in the shoes of these religious people. Jesus, we've been following you. (laughs) Jesus, we've been listening to your sermons We've been laying down... Well, this is about to happen when he does his triumphal entry. We're, we're going to lay down clothes for you to walk on. We shout your name in the streets. We fill buildings when you preach so much that people can't even get in the doors. We're the ones that love you. What do you mean you want to go hang out with a tax collector? How could you, Jesus? You're supposed to be here for me. It's like that brother in the story of the prodigal son... Shouldn't he be excited when his brother comes home? But he says, Dad, what do you mean you're throwing him a party? I've been here for you this whole time. You're supposed to love me. But certainly we wouldn't be like that crowd today. Certainly we wouldn't treat people like that, would we? Certainly we wouldn't say, look, Jesus, look at all that I'm doing for you. I help with the music. I volunteer on every single committee. I'm here every Sunday Surely that means you should listen to what I want and my wishes. And without even realizing, we make God and his church completely about us, and we forget that church is not about us. It's about the despised. It's about the failures. It's about the outsiders. It's about the unremarkable. It's not about us. Praise God that we were those people, and then he saved us. And it's no longer about me, it's no longer about you, it's no longer about Alex, it's about Jesus seeking to save the lost. Amen? But how do we act today in church? And I want to make this personal, and please know this isn't me like trying to call anybody out, this is me too, I've done this as well, but how do we act when the lost people actually come into our doors? I want you to imagine, what if today a dirty, filthy homeless person just stepped out into these doors off the street, sat in one of our pews because their curiosity was piqued and they wanted to hear about Jesus? How would we actually act? What if a single mom we'd never met before came in with four rowdy kids? She didn't want to send them to nursery or children's church because she doesn't know our church that well yet. And those kids make noise and make you cry. They're throwing stuff. They're making noise throughout the whole service. How are we going to act? Now be honest with ourselves. How are we really going to react to that? Are we going to show love to them or are we going to be thinking, man, I wish those kids would shut up. Why doesn't that mom get a hold of her kids? Why don't they do this? Why didn't that man get cleaned up before he came into church? And shame on any of us or any Christian... That that would be like. We become those people in this passage, the despisers, who look at someone like Zacchaeus and say, Jesus, what are you doing? (laughs) Why would you show your love to them? Why would you spend your time with them? May we be different. I want to give you an example of a church that I know of personally that did this differently. There's a pastor friend of mine um, in North Carolina. His name is Casey Bradford. And Casey lives um, in a pretty backcountry podunk town. There's nothing there but his church, basically, and a whole bunch of drug addicts. (laughs) And he noticed one Sunday that there was a couple of drug addicts, I think it's mainly like meth that they were um, hooked on, that there was a big epidemic in their town, that came into his church. And basically walked right up to the front rows and sat down because they wanted to hear about Jesus. And Kate, and you, you got to know Casey, he is one of the most fun and eccentric people I've ever met in my life. And he looks at them and he's thinking, well, glory, hallelujah, let's preach the gospel. <laughs> All right, we're going to preach to some drug addicts. And there were people in his church that got really mad that no one escorted these people out of his church. Because Casey wouldn't let them. <laughs> so guess what happened the next Sunday? Those drug addicts brought friends. And then they brought friends. And it got to a point that it took actually a whole couple of rows in the front that was all meth heads that would come into their church and Casey couldn't be happier. (laughs) Because he's sharing the gospel with them. And some people got so mad that they actually left the church. And Casey was not happy about that. But he was happy that their seats got filled by more sinners. And what happened was some of those meth, uh, meth addicts got saved And started reaching out to other drug addicts to keep filling those pews. Now, um, today, that church runs a drug rehabilitation program for those very people. And every single Sunday, there are people that know that they can come into that church just as they are, just as dirty as they are, just as addicted as they are. Not because the church tells them to stay that way, but because that they're going to be loved and told about the gospel of Jesus. That's what the church should look like. The church can't forget that mission of Jesus. Those religious people should have said, this is awesome, Jesus. Let's cook a meal for Zacchaeus. (laughs) Zacchaeus, don't cook the meal. We'll help you out. But instead they grumbled. And so I don't want to leave this on a negative note. I want to leave this on a challenging note for us. Let's be that kind of church. Amen? Let's be the kind of church that has that same drive. Because what happens is... When we love like Jesus, we change from a despiser into a helper. May we never be the ones that see the filthy, the broken, and the destitute, and we look at them and say, wow, let's go away. Let's not be the people in the story of the Good Samaritan, those religious leaders that saw the dirty, broken person bleeding on the road and said, wow, I'm way too clean and I'm too important to help them. Let's not leave it to someone else. Let's be the ones that seeks them out to stop being someone who just looks down on somebody, and instead, we help show them the love of Jesus. Which brings us to that third wonderful identity we see in this story. And that's the Savior. We have the despised. We have Zacchaeus. We have the despisers, who was the religious people. But then we have Jesus, who shows us in this story one of the most beautiful outlines of salvation that the Bible gives to us through the story of Zacchaeus. And this is what I want to leave us with. A clear dis- depiction of what salvation looks like through Jesus. Notice what happens in this story. Yes, Zacchaeus might have been wanting to see who Jesus was, but he didn't know why. He just wanted to see who this person was, and he didn't initiate the conversation. When it comes to salvation, Jesus is the one Who starts it? Zacchaeus is up in the tree, and sure, for him, if nothing else, he just wanted to see the celebrity. He's sitting up in the tree; he's looking out, but when it comes to salvation, Jesus starts it, not us. Did you catch that? Jesus walks up to the, he's walking by, and he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus. If anything, that might have been a terrifying moment for Zacchaeus. (laughs) He was probably thinking, oh no, this religious rabbi is going to talk about how much he hates me and how about how sinful I am. He wasn't seeking salvation, but Jesus was. Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus. And here's the other awesome things about this, is even though Zacchaeus wasn't looking for salvation, the Holy Spirit put him in that exact place. That curiosity that was in him, that wanted to see who Jesus was, that didn't come from nowhere. And if you were brought into church today and you have not been saved by Jesus, let me tell you, that wasn't just on you. It's the Holy Spirit putting you exactly where you need to be in this exact place and time to hear the gospel. And then know this encouraging and terrifying moment. You want to know why Zacchaeus was terrified? Because Jesus already knew him. He doesn't look up in the tree and say, hey, stranger, short dude, come here. He looks up in the tree and through his divine knowledge, he says, Zacchaeus, he knows him. In that moment, Zacchaeus knew, I can't hide anything from Jesus. (laughs) Maybe there was that fleeting moment when Jesus made eye contact with him. He was going to think, hey, he doesn't know who I am. Maybe he doesn't know I'm a tax collector and a filthy sinner, so this might go okay. Zacchaeus, oh no. (laughs) It's a scary but beautiful thing to know that we can't hide anything from Jesus. When he knocks on the door of our heart, he sees it all. He knows our best moments to our worst. He knows that sin that everybody's known about, and he knows that deepest, darkest secret that you've never told anybody, and maybe never will. He knows all of it. And yet, he looked at Zacchaeus, and he said, I must come to your house today. Don't miss that. See, there wasn't a choice. Jesus said, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. See, this wasn't happenstance. There are no coincidences with God. Jesus went into this town for the. If, I'm sure he talked to plenty of other people, but he in this moment was there for Zacchaeus. And if you're here this morning and if you've never heard the gospel clearly presented to you this morning, if you've never repented of your sins and put your faith in Jesus, he's here for you today. You had to be here today. Jesus put you here for that very reason. And when Jesus said, I must stay with you today, it tells us something about salvation. It has nothing to do with us. It had nothing to do with Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a sinful man when Jesus met him. Zacchaeus didn't repent before Jesus went and talked to him. Jesus said, hey, you sinning tax collector, you godfather of the king, you know, of the crime spree here and the tax collector's, I'm here for you, not because you're a good person. I'm here because I'm going to save you, and that's a beautiful thing for us to hear. If you find yourself as one of the despisers, or you know, or one of the despised, or you know somebody that would consider themselves that, or you consider themselves them that, know that that's exactly who Jesus seeks out. He comes to them and says, "I must meet with you." Those drug addicts that came into Casey's church, it wasn't on accident. It was because the Holy Spirit led them in there, and then Jesus said, I must meet with you. And I'm going to save you, not because of you, not because of anything you do, but because I love you. But there is something that that happens to us when we're saved. See, Zacchaeus became an immediately different person. When he turned from his sins, there was an immediate change And there's Christian, if you just recently got saved, or if you've been saved for a long chunk of your life, you'll remember the moment that you got saved. There is always an immediate change in our lives that turns us into someone different, that makes us want to seek after what Jesus wants more than anything else. And again, I don't think anyone in the Bible almost shows us a more clear depiction of that than Zacchaeus. We don't exactly know how long this process was. We don't know if Jesus spent the night with Zacchaeus and then he said this, but what it certainly looks like in this moment was that it was very quick. Zacchaeus met Jesus and it changed his life forever. I mentioned Zacchaeus was short and I think there's a good reason for why the Bible goes ahead and tells us he was short. Because his entire life he was despised, he was hated, and physically and metaphorically he was looked down on. But in that moment that he met Jesus, he no longer cared about who looked down on him. The only moment that mattered was, was when Jesus walked by that tree and looked up to him for the first time and said, Zacchaeus, I must stay with you today. So let me leave us with this today. Where do you find yourself? Are you someone like Zacchaeus, who's never truly put their faith in Jesus and needs to know that this Salvation comes through Christ alone. Is that someone? Are you that person that needs to know that today? Are you the person that the Holy Spirit drew here this morning? I want you to know that you don't have to clean yourself up because you're not going to before you meet Jesus. He wants to save you right where you are now. He wants to look at you and turn you into a disciple. He wants to look at you and change you from the inside out, that you would repent of your sins, that you would have the kind of faith in Jesus that Abraham had, that Zacchaeus had here, and that you would follow him with all of your life. But I also want to remind us that if you've seen in your heart today that you are like that crowd of despisers, that we've looked at people with the kind of spite and anger and hate, that we're upset that Jesus would actually look at somebody else and not want to, and want to spend time with them, I pray that God would change our hearts, that He would break us of that, that we would look at that very last statement that Jesus says that the Son of man didn 't come for good people, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, and may that be the cry of our hearts today let 's pray, Father, we thank you for today, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the story that you give through Zacchaeus. God, of a clear example of how you take someone who is despised and turn them into a follower of you. But God, I pray that also you would challenge all of us this morning who have been followers of you for a long time that we wouldn't be like the crowds in this story. But God, we would be and have hearts like Jesus that we would want nothing more than to see the lost come to saving faith through Christ alone. So God, we pray that you would um, be with us now. Be with us as we go into a time of song and invitation. And we look forward to what you're going to continue to do. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.